Hello and welcome to Run for Heroes, the podcast. I'm Swazi, I'll be your hostess with the mostess, and trust me when I say, you are in for a treat, as this episode is packed with nothing but good vibes and a healthy dose of motivation. But before we get into it, why not take part in the Run for Heroes 5K May? Whether that's running, rolling, walking, cycling, or swimming, get involved whilst helping a good cause. Find out more at runforheroes.org.uk. Now on to this week's episode, where I'm joined by an incredible special guest to talk all things nutrition, mindset, and beans on toast. It's Dr. Aria. Hello, I'm very well. Thank you for having me here. I can't um, emphasize enough, we're matching. This is meant to be, we're matching with the microphone. So the professionalism is up there. Let me know who you are, what do you do, and where are you right now? It's looking very slick in your background. That's very kind of you. So my name is Aria. I'm a high performance psychologist and I work across three main areas, which is mindset, fitness and nutrition. And I work with individuals in the creative industries, uh, in sports and business, entrepreneurs. And it's generally people who are often successful individually and professionally, but they might be stuck in one or more areas of their lives. So they might have achieved everything that society says should lead to happiness and success, mm. but their health might fall off the radar or their relationships might be suffering or they might be experiencing discontent and dissatisfaction with the way that their life is, despite having so much that they feel like they should be grateful for. So right. I take a very holistic approach to health and well-being. I believe that our mindset is the most powerful tool that we have for changing our lives and our health and I see often my goal as a psychologist to help people to understand how their mind works and how their thoughts and their emotions influence what they choose to do on a daily basis which then compounds over time and leads to the state of our health or our relationships or our business. Yeah. So basically, this episode is therapy. Basically, that's what we're, that's what we're <laughs> doing. <for. laughs> but I love that because I think everyone is going to have that moment to say, yeah, am I content? Am I satisfied? Mm. Um, is what I'm doing now, even if it's before a lockdown, now that I'm in a lockdown and coming yeah. out of it um, slowly but surely, those are the questions we're all asking ourselves. So thank you for Absolutely. your time, really. Um, I want to get into the fit method. What is it and how did you come up with it? So I carried out my doctorate at UCL and the research part was in the area of the maintenance of weight loss. So whenever you look at the data on, on diets, we generally know, I mean, there's about four or five decades of research showing that any diet can be effective in the short term, low fat, low carb, intermittent fasting. But if you look at the trajectory over a two year period, they tend to be the same. And what happens is people lose weight initially, but then they regain and they lost weight. And there's some research to show that up to one to two thirds regain more weight than they lost. Right. So you have this vicious cycle where people lose weight, they regain it, they get heavier, and then they feel frustrated, you know, it hits their self-esteem, their self-confidence, they look for another diet, they go on that, they lose weight and they regain it. And then over a period of time, one, one two, three decades, their weight trajectory is continually going up. So there's been a huge drive by universities, research bodies, the government to look at how can you not only lose weight, but how can you maintain it? And I was involved in a randomized controlled trial looking at the psychology 
of individuals who have gone through that process of losing weight and are maintaining it. What does that mean from a mindset point of view? What does it mean in terms of our relationship with ourselves and with food? And so really that's been the, yeah, the crux of my research. And from that, I built a three-part model to help people to better understand the psychology of fitness and health and nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to know then what, what meals are you chefing up in lockdown? What have you been cooking? <laughs> and what are those meals that make you think, yeah, I feel good about myself now. So if this is to do with well-being and feeling good, <laughs> what are some of the recipes you can give us um, for we could get the same feeling? <laughs> yeah. What are my go-tos? Um, well, I've got to say, actually, I'm going to give credit to my brother, Cyrus, who I live with. He does an amazing um, pan-fried sea bass with a homemade sweet potato fries and, a, uh, and, and mushy peas. His girlfriend, Libby, has literally nailed the art of making uh, chicken or prawn fajitas with the homemade guac and the um, pico de gallo. So you're doing restaurant vibes on the side. You're doing (laughs) part-time restaurant. (laughs) I love that you were just really humble and gave the credit to your brother. So it's like, okay, okay, I see where it's going. They're a huge part of my life. It's I think during, you know, during this time, during the lockdown, people have just come to appreciate how important social connections are, you know, our family, yeah. our loved ones, the people that we miss, what's really valuable and important in our lives, like you were saying, mm. all these questions that really it's forced us to create a little bit of pause and kind of reflect on what's working and what's not. And that's allowed us to hopefully strip away the things that don't serve us and do more of the things that do. Yeah, I think the lockdown series has definitely been a refining process, hasn't it, to make sure yeah. that the things that have been good, we we keep them. And you mentioned community, which is a huge part of Run for Heroes. So mm. much has happened over the last year that has brought us closer together, even if it's on Zoom, like even yeah. if it's online, we're, we're closer. Um, but just to touch back about nutrition, h- how or why is nutrition such a big part about setting goals, achieving goals and feeling good about yourself? Wh- wh- where does that, um, wh- where does that balance come in? Mm. Nutrition is undoubtedly one of the pillars of health uh, in, alongside being physically active, alongside sleep, alongside numerous other factors. And I don't think the importance of it can be overstated. Uh, yeah. You know, we know that it has a significant impact on our physical performance and on our recovery. But I think what more people are actually becoming aware of is that what we eat and how we feel is intimately interlinked too, and has a, they have a powerful, powerful impact on each other. And actually, mm-hmm. you know, from a research point of view, it's a very exciting time because up until now, we knew that there was an association between diet quality and the risk of mental health disorders like depression. But even more recently, they combined a lot of data from over 45,000 participants looking at the impact. And what I think is so encouraging is that they found that all types of dietary improvement appears to have equal effects on your mental health. So you don't need to make like highly specialized, highly specific um, diets that you need to follow, even just stripping it back and keeping it simple, eating more nutrient-dense meals, which are full in fiber and, uh, and nutrients, so essentially eating more vegetables, um, yeah. you know, having fruit and snacks, improving the quality of what you eat, has actually a significant impact on, on your mental health. Mm. Um, and interestingly, actually, the, the studies showed that females 
experience even greater benefits from uh, improving their diet for depression and anxiety. And when wow. you combine it with exercise, you get an even more powerful impact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went through this phase in lockdown where I was eating um, like hemp all the time. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I've changed something that I feel really good about it or if yeah. it's really doing anything. But the freedom to switch things up. Like, what yeah. would you say to someone who's like, oh, I, I, I suck at discipline. I actually am not good at keeping a disciplined diet, but I like to yeah. try new things and like to do, you know, just change it up. So is is changing it up just as good as being disciplined? Well, first of all, Swarzy, if hemp works for you, just rock it. Just hemp it all the way. <laughs> just, yeah, I've got shares. No, I'm joking, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be seeing all the Instagram posts now yeah. on different hemp products coming through. Uh, do you know, I think it's, I'm glad that you brought that up. When it comes to discipline, the way that we can look at discipline, essentially, when people talk about being disciplined, they're really thinking about either eating something they don't want to eat, and then they feel like, okay, I need to eat that, or avoiding eating something that they do want to eat. So really what we're looking at is willpower. Now, mm. willpower is a limited resource. Essentially, you get a pot of it when you wake up in the morning, and as the day goes on, the pot depletes. Yeah. Any decision that you make, whether it's related to what clothes you're wearing or a decision at work, will reduce some of that cognitive capacity. Anytime you resist a temptation, whether it's related to you know, going into the coffee shop and having an Americano as opposed to a full fat uh, latte with whipped cream and salted caramel drizzle on That's top. That's language. Yeah. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> it uses up willpower. Anytime you don't have an argument with your partner, it uses up willpower. But what happens is you often then reach the end of the day and that resource is has been depleted. And that's why it's a lot more difficult not to eat a packet of hobnobs for breakfast but whenever it's nine o'clock at night and you've got a cup of tea and the television's on, it's increasingly more challenging. Yeah. The key then is less to try, from, from my approach, it's less about willpower and discipline. Because I would actually say I'm not a very disciplined person. What I do is I focus on eating what I enjoy. I try and make it mm -hmm. easy on myself. Rather than thinking about what I shouldn't eat, I shift my attention to what are the things that I love eating that I want to eat, that give me pleasure, because food is a huge source of enjoyment and pleasure yeah. for me. And so I'll fill my, uh, you know, my breakfast, lunch, dinner, my snacks with things that I do love eating, and ideally that are also healthful. And so it takes away that, that sense of challenge or that you're fighting against food. Mm. And so like you're saying, also diversity can be key for people. I think preparation is often really important, you know, having things or already there that you can dip into but I love trying new foods I love just making small changes even if it's changing the type of sauce I use or the spice or someone else makes a recommendation then I think that yeah that's the way forward yeah because you know you got your restaurant going now you got to keep that menu you are contending hey, over that menu I've got to keep the customers happy you know? <laughs> yeah exactly and how important is it because yeah sitting down with your brother and his girlfriend and eating together that's been that's been something that lots of people have said actually I'm home I'm home to eat with my family yeah. and and yeah. where we were living well where I was living at 100 miles per hour I was probably working at six o'clock seven o'clock I wasn't home um yeah. and so how much is it to do with eating communally and eating together as opposed to just eating well surely there's a community aspect when we talk about food that's just as important absolutely i think the europeans have it right often 
eating isn't solely about function it's often yeah. about connection and so mm. they'll take that time and they will preserve that as an integral part of the day to connect with either their work colleagues or yeah. their their family or their friends and they'll take their time with it and mm. often what I'll, I'll ask myself at different times during the day is what is my intention in this moment what is this moment about yeah. and so when you're having dinner it can be about connecting with the people around you, actually enjoying it, savoring the food, savoring the company, giving yourself that space. Now may not be the time to figure out what your schedule is for tomorrow or how you solve a particular problem or thinking about preparing for a work meeting that you have come up. And it's often just being about more intentional with directing our mind because if we don't become aware of where our mind is going and begin to lead it, it begins to lead us. And often it'll yeah. go down the route of the past or the future and it'll be sl slanted negatively. So yeah. like you're saying, I think it's a beautiful way of, of connecting with people. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially in a lockdown where we're tempted to feel isolated, but to make use of the people who are around us and to make good of a, of a good meal at the same time, you can't really go yeah. wrong in that scenario. Do you know what I mean? So I want to go back to what you were talking about, um, satisfaction and the factors that may be the red flags to say, actually, I'm not happy here. Um, so when we're talking about well-being, especially coming out of lockdown as things are easing up and that even in my heart, I think, actually, I feel a little bit anxious to go back out and the busyness of life or even the tube and how packed that yeah. is those things are are causing anxiety or these things are making me think maybe I just want to be on zoom for the rest of my life like what am I doing so what would you say to someone who is having to consider switching up their daily routine as things are lifting um and also those red flags what are those red flags when we come to talking about contentment and feeling satisfied in life how do I know when I'm not feeling those things mm. the first step is awareness Mm. And it's becoming aware of how you're feeling, connecting to your body. We've often become so disconnected from our bodies that we live in our minds as opposed to either our hearts or our bodies. And so it's becoming increasingly aware of how you're feeling. Do, can you sense any tension? Is there any resistance within you? Are you feeling, are you feeling low? Are you feeling stressed? Are you feeling anxious? Is there fear there? what does it feel like? Where does it reside? Is it like butterflies in your stomach? Is it adrenaline? Is it your heart racing? Is it a general like cloud that feels like it's come over you? Now through awareness, it creates a little bit of space. Become Just, just become aware of it and notice it. Now emotions, the next step is often to begin to identify, all right, this is the way that I'm feeling and also accepting it. And there's been some fascinating research showing that when you put your feelings into words and they put individuals in MRI scanners uh, looking at the brain, they see that the part of the brain that's very active, the older evolutionary part of the brain called the amygdala that's responsible for fear and for more basic emotions. When we put how we feel into words, it begins to calm down, the activity calms down. So just by being aware of it and identifying and stating how you feel, that can have an initial impact to bring that down. Yeah. And then I'd say it's about noticing what, becoming aware of what is a narrative that's running through your head. Often the way that we feel is being stemmed from a perspective that our mind is taking. Now we all have an internal commentary, an internal voice, which is always accompanying us during the day. And it makes different 
assumptions and judgments and speculations and interpretations and predictions. But there's two things to be aware of when it comes to the mind. One is that it's evolved with a negativity bias. So the brain, we know from clinical data, the brain is much more likely to pay attention to negative information, to retain it, and to draw upon it. It's a lot more powerful to the brain. Now, we can ask why and go down a kind of a long story, but I'll try and keep that quite short. But essentially, we evolved on the savannah. And from a survival perspective, if an individual individual was... Uh, very hypervigilant to danger and interpreting everything negatively, that individual would be more likely to survive rather than taking a risk of eating a berry that they don't know if po- is poisonous or not, or picking up a stick when it could be a snake or thinking I've got lots of food, it'll be fine. But instead just preparing all the time or hearing a rustling in the bushes and thinking, do you know, that could be a predator. I'm away. If you were, more fear-based, you would live. So it's great from a survival point of view, but from a happiness point of view, it's terrible. Yeah. And the other part is that the mind has a mind of its own. Your mind will continually come up with different thoughts which will arise in, in your mind without your conscious control. It's not you. It's not you trying to create them. It's the mind. The mind has a mind of its own. So we can begin to, an analogy I use often with clients is, you're like the sky, you're the sky, but your thoughts and emotions are the clouds. And sometimes they're large and they're heavy and gray uh, and they're full of rain. And other times they're light and wispy and they just float by. But the clouds are not the sky. The clouds come and go. They change all the time. You are the, you're the observer of or the container of the thoughts and the emotions. And so just becoming aware that can create a little, a little bit of space. And then we can begin to look at, okay, what am I worried about? You know, if you're worried, you might be worried about going about going back into work and suddenly having a completely full diary. Okay, what's that about? Is it about the fact that you're worried that you're then no longer going to prioritize your own mental well-being and your, your time with the family? Or, or Yeah. Yeah, totally. And understanding, okay, so what does that mean? That means that I right now I really value family or connection or my own health or having more of a balance and you like the balance that you have and then you can take steps to try and objectively have more of what you value and strip away what you don't and then it gives you almost that um, serenity to be able to, to to know the things you can change and put your focus there and then maybe to accept the things that you can't and to have a sense of ease with that. Hi everyone, hope you're enjoying the wonderful Dr. Aria speak about all things health and wellness. Just a note from the founders to say that 5K May has raised over £25,000 already by the community. Why don't you join in today as well by participating in a 5K this month and donating £5 to a charity close to your heart. Don't forget to tag us on social so we can reshare. Thanks everyone, enjoy the rest of the episode. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. And I suppose I just want to contextualize this because sometimes it can feel very other. You know what I mean? It can feel like, oh yeah, that's happening over there. But I think for me, one of my clouds has been yeah. to rest and not feel guilty. You know, when you right. think, right, am I doing enough? Like when I walk on socials and I think people have made this happen or they've done yeah. this and I think, oh, I'm really slow. I've not been able to achieve at the same pace that my friends or colleagues have been able to do. But that's an internal yeah. voice. Like you just said, that voice is, is loud and I've got to turn the volume down on that. So is there anything that you've been having to turn the volume down in the last 12 months, an internal voice that's told you something that you're like... Let me shut that voice up. Do you know what I mean? That's that's not true. I need to mm. I need to take space. I need to take time. What's been one of the clouds over your sky that you've had to identify and just yeah, take time over? I do it on a daily basis. So for me, the work <laughs> yeah. is totally is so it, it's about it's about the relationship I have with my mind. So it might sound mm. a little bit surreal, but I just I take my mind so much less seriously nowadays. I think of my mind as like a kid. It's a little kid that wants things the way it wants it, whether yeah. or not, you know, that's an ice cream or to, or, you know, the latest toy or to like, um, to achieve something in life. And, and I, yeah, I give it very little credence. I began to begin to change the relationship with it because that mind can be brutal. It can be hypercritical. Mm -hmm. It can bring you down. It can insult you in ways that you wouldn't allow your best friend to. It can create such a negative, catastrophic view of the, of the future or the past. Now you can't ever change that. You can't change the nature of a line. You can't change the nature of your mind, but what you can do is change your relationship to it. And when you begin to take it less seriously and see that that's not who you are, that's just yeah. the mind that you have, which is a very healthy mind is built for survival. It actually ironically begins to settle and calm down on its own. So mm. I actually just spent a month in, in Kenya uh, for work. And something that really struck me was that whenever I was out there and I was in, you know, on the savannah grasslands in nature, seeing this incredible wildlife, I was so at peace and content. Just the simple things were enough. Waking up, yeah. appreciating the view, appreciating what I was eating, having a roof over my head, time with the people I was with, that was enough. And I could sense that when I was coming back into London, there's such a strong Western societal focus on career. Are you achieving enough? What's the, what's the next person doing? How many followers do you have? What impact do you have? How many, you know, what's your reach? What, how much are you earning? Have you reached that next career milestone? And these are all societally defined metrics of success, in inverted commas. Mm. And more and more and more, what I've begun to do is begin to separate the two. Sure, I've got career goals. So there's an external journey and the internal journey. And I've got external career goals. And that's fine. And that's great because I think we appreciate that sense of progress and achievement. But what I'm not going to conflate is that external path. Those external goals are not going to impact my internal happiness. They're independent, mm. which is why often people reach that state of of achieving everything they thought they would have, but then they don't have that sense of happiness or contentment within them. Yeah. That's cultivated, that's built, that's 
uh, that flourishes internally. And so I begin to bring my focus more and more and more to what are my internal goals? What is, who's the man I want to be? What are the qualities I want to embody? What, what person do I want to be? What do I want to focus on? Is it love? Is it acceptance? Is it kindness, compassion? Is it um, speaking my voice, sharing my truth with others, being more assertive if you feel like you're, you know, you're not? And these are all things that we can work on every single day, irrespective of where we are, who's in our life, whether or not a restaurant is open or not, and mm. what we have around us or not. That becomes a lot yeah. less important. Mm. You're actually a genius, you know. I'm listening to you thinking, this is very soothing. <laughs> like, I know your name is Doctor, but when I started listening, thinking, you know, we've got a brilliant way of doing, putting language to mm -hmm. things that we feel, but don't often know how to articulate. So the minute mm -hmm. you were able, when you said your mind has a mind of its own, yeah, it does. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and when you break it down like that, it's so yeah. helpful because you can start to realize, oh, this is why I think like this or feel like that. Um, yeah. And so I'm going to change, I'm going to change gear a little bit and Are become agony gear? aunt. Okay. Yeah, I need to shift okay. gear because we've had some questions come in and you're the perfect right. person for them. So I'm going right. to shoot my agony aunt questions your way. So lockdown and being separated from people physically, um, but yet being able to connect with people online or through socials or whatever it may be. Do you think that the world has become closer together or further apart? Mm. So the first part of that is that recognition that, yes, social isolation and loneliness has an impact on our physical and mental health. And there have been meta-analyses which are looking at multiple studies showing that that lack of social connection heightens our health risk as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or regularly using alcohol. And so, yeah, loneliness in itself can be almost twice as harmful as some of the yeah some of the worst habits that we have in terms of physical and mental health whether or not we are becoming drawn apart uh pushed apart or drawn together there's data to 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 suggest both i think in a way what's less important is is whether it's cons it's consistent or it's rising um and it's more about appreciating how important it is in our lives. There's also, from a psychological perspective, the way that I look at it is that the, yes, you know, from a practical point of view, without a shadow of a doubt, the places that we can go to, the social restrictions, will have an influence. At the same time, I think the power of an event less lies in the event itself and more about how we then perceive it and what we do with it. So I think for some people, it's they've felt greater loneliness because they maybe haven't had that social support, but also it's they've seen it as a barrier to to other people and to connecting. For others, I think like we were talking about, it's given them that pause and they've realized, gosh, this is something that maybe I've taken for granted yeah. or something that is so important to me. And I'm now going to reach out to people in different ways, even if it isn't face to face, but through, you know, through Zoom or a phone call. And I think mm. it's important to build, you know, the quality of our uh, relationships, but also having multiple meaningful connections too. you know, and the Buddha once used this analogy that if you, if you appreciate the scent of a thousand roses, if you lose one, 
it doesn't make as much of a difference. And so it's almost appreciating, you know, if you have multiple meaningful connections, if one leaves your life for whatever reason, if you experience either a loss from from death or uh, or you can't see them just from because of the lockdown or they break up with you or they betray you or you go through some sort of loss of a relationship, it can make such a big difference if you can see that your happiness isn't contained within that person. It's not contained within that relationship. That relationship was simply a vehicle for it. And so it's about recognizing what did I gain from that relationship? Why is that person important to me? Is it about being seen and appreciated and valued? Is it about being heard? Is it about the opportunity to give love, to be able to look after someone? Is it companionship? You know, what are the parts that are really important to you in a relationship? And seeing that they don't live anywhere externally, you can find a way of cultivating that, not only with different people, but I mean, it might sound a bit strange. My relationship with um, uh, my dog, Alf, um, who I don't see as much anymore, but gave me a huge amount of connection. I absolutely, yeah, I loved spending time with him. And... Don't let your brother hear this. He knows, he knows. So, um, so yeah, knows. so Cyrus has become... It. Cyrus has become my, my, my replacement for my dog. So, um, you know, and he's a great second second choice. Um, and so, yeah, we can begin to build that up and cultivate that in different ways. But it's recognizing, in a way, it's going back to first principles and recognizing what does that relationship give me? What am I looking for? And seeing that you can cultivate that in different ways. Even in, you can even have a sense of, I don't know, have you ever had this where you feel a connection with nature, where you're out, where you're walking and you're with, literally, you're not with, people a person with you but you know you're with you know the trees and the birds and and uh the lake yeah and you don't feel lonely you feel Mm. at peace you don't you might be alone but you don't necessarily feel lonely yeah yeah and just for anyone listening who has lost someone uh we've been living through a pandemic and the numbers have been have been shocking haven't they and people will have gone through grief and have gone through things this year or or in the last couple of years um, leading up to this moment and listening now I'm thinking yeah the things I love most about that person those are the things that spur me on in my other relationships or these are the things I really value and it's because I value these things I miss whoever mm-hmm. I've I've lost um, and so yeah that's that's a really great point um, a couple last questions then the best advice the best advice you've ever been given Dr Aria when you're on the other side what advice have you been given that you really value today well there's a quote that I read once and it stayed with me ever since and that is The comfort zone is a lovely place to be, but nothing beautiful ever grows there. Oh, retweet. I don't know where the retweet button is. (laughs) I would drop my mic, but I'm worried that it might break. No, 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 don't (laughs) drop it. (laughs) Don't drop it. Uh, But I think it's that reminder that, you know, life does involve suffering. You can't avoid it. There Mm. are, and, and sometimes it's, inexplicable it's it can't be justified it can't be rationalized away it's just difficult you might be you might lose someone like you're saying close to you uh you might experience a betrayal you might be single when you want to be in a relationship you might be struggling 
to conceive, but the people around you are, are becoming pregnant. There can be so much. You might be losing your job. And whatever it is, it's difficult and it's suffering. And that's unfortunately an inevitable part of life because life is relative. We can't have suffering without peace and vice versa. We can't have light without dark. We can't have night without day, north without south. But the story doesn't ever end there. Even when we're in a place of suffering, that's not, that's that part of that chapter, but there's going to be another chapter. And whenever we begin to, like we are talking about, accept her emotion, validate it, appreciate it, just because you feel it, that is validation in itself. And we begin to process it and work through it. We can then begin to see that within every difficulty, as strange as it might seem, there's an opportunity for growth or there's, there's something there that, that might stem from it. And even in my own life, the most brutal parts that I've have been unwanted and unexpected have led to growing in love or compassion or understanding or sensitivity. And so, you know, often it's painful experiences that force us to change. It's through the uncomfortable experiences that we grow. And then we can then appreciate uh, the pleasurable experiences which make life delightful. Nice, nice. Um, do you prefer morning exercise or evening exercise? Are you Ooh. day or night? Uh, right now I'm enjoying going for a walk in the morning and then, and then doing, I like to hit, hit the gym later in the day. Mm -hmm. okay. So best of both. Yeah. Better both. Better both. And <laughs> <laughs> um, what is one thing that is guaranteed to pick you up when you feel down? Uh, Cyrus's face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shouts goes out to Alf though. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and it's not because, it's not because he has a funny <laughs> face or anything or that it's amusing in itself. It's just because I love him so dearly. And I know that when I see that and he does this cheeky little smile, he lifts me up. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't deny. <laughs> you can't deny. You can't deny love and uh, you can't deny that face. I should probably actually, in fact, on my Instagram, there's a photograph of his face. So, so if you're feeling low or anyone listening <laughs> yeah. is feeling low. That's my new screensaver. <laughs> go on to it and just, and just see it and try not smile. Just try. <laughs> I, don't, I think I've lost already. I'm not even on your page. So yeah, I think, I'm, <laughs> I think you've won. <laughs> and my last question has to be, da, 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 da. yeah, where is your favorite place to go for a 5K run? So whenever I go back home to visit my parents in Scotland, I'll often, I'll go for a run around my old house. And there's mm -hmm. two reasons for that. One is because there was this older couple. I, I never had, I didn't have a chance to meet my father's parents and my mum's parents I rarely saw. So we didn't really have grandparents for this older couple we called them our adopted grandparents and they're called frank and lexi and they were just two beautiful people that were just such a source of love and encouragement and had such a positive influence on me and they're no longer here and so so just to run by their old house brings back those memories yeah. uh, another place i run to is the first house i was um brought up in and in, in the back there's a field and there's a big tree and every time I run by that tree, I remember being a kid and just seeing this tree as being huge and almost unclimbable. And, and also, I just remind myself of who I was as a child and the qualities that I had. You know, there's an actor, Brian Cox, and he trains actors and he actually encourages them to carry a photograph of themselves as children with them at all times. And it's oh. just that reminder of, 
of some of our innate qualities and the journey that we've we've come on and, and who we truly are because it's so easy to get caught up in in what other people think or say about us and to lose that connection with who you are and who you want to be yeah how beautiful is that I need to squeeze one more in then and say to anyone who's listening but and I need to, I can't carry everything when I'm running you know I'm fumbling about with my little bum bag and doing with my water bottle um but what my last one has to be then if you're listening right now and you're thinking I'm not a runner do you know what I mean I'm not a runner I'm not an athlete what would yeah. you say to someone who wants to pick up running but doesn't quite know where to start you know it's a fascinating area so identity and behavior change uh it's less tangible than other areas such as nutrition or the exercise that we do. But we know that we're much more likely to maintain a behavior if that action, one, is personally meaningful and we enjoy it, and two, it's actually aligned with your sense of self. And so we know that we tend to self-regulate our behavior in line with our beliefs about ourselves. So what I would often uh, encourage to someone who says, I'm not a runner, would begin to shift your, your own self-perception about who you are. And that could include being active or being sporty. So we can even ask, you know, what does it mean to be a runner? Yeah. In my book, if you go for a run or you run, just by virtue of that fact alone, you're entitled to say that you're a runner. Mm-hmm. And so then I think the second part is one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're trying to prove their fitness or their health is thinking that they have to make radical changes to their eating and their exercise. And from a cognitive point of view, that can just be overwhelming and you put it off. And then when you do try, you try and change too much and then you give up soon after. And you might have heard that it takes 21 days to form a habit, but that's actually a myth which appears to have originated from claims that it takes patients 21 days to adjust to their new appearance after plastic surgery. So it's got nothing to do with habits, but it got picked up in the press and then um, continued that way. On average, it takes nine to 10 weeks to form a habit. We also know from the data that the simpler the action, the more likely it is and the more quickly it becomes automatic. So my biggest piece of advice would be let go of massive expectations about quick change or radical change. Think like a turtle rather than a hare. If you aren't exercising, try going for a five-minute brisk walk daily and then gradually build up in terms of your distance or your pace. Start wherever you are. Wherever you are is okay. You are where you are and just take one small step. So you can create a gradual action plan. You might want to want to use Couch to 5K or something you find um, on the internet, but adjust it for your current level of fitness. Essentially, you want to make the first change such a small step from your current lifestyle, it'd be difficult to say no to it. Mm. And then just remember, this is the long game. It's not that you have one chance to run 5K and then that time will be plastered about to everyone and you'll never have a chance to ever do it again no even finishing your first 5k is an achievement and then you probably get a sense of accomplishment you'll feel actually i'm enthused to to do a little bit more to even you know you'll have learned from that and then and then you know you might want to try and cut some time off it but it's all about slow and steady winning the race essentially Mm -hmm. be gentle with yourself yeah 
Oh, such great advice. I can't believe we've spoken about so much in this short amount of time. <laughs> we've really covered all line. ground. And there were so many questions. Every time you'd, you'd, there's so many things I want to ask you. Um, yeah, go on, go on. All right. Well, I was wondering actually. So um, this is back with the nutrition. If you were cooking, in fact, if you were cooking dinner, I was coming around. Um, I don't think I can compete with you though. Do you know what I mean? You've got restaurant vibes going already. So please be be easy. Start wherever you are, Swarzy. It's okay. I, I'm a simple <laughs> man. Even beans on toast. Beans on okay, me. that's what you're getting then. Beans, beans on toast, beans on toast. With, with hemp, right? Some hemp <laughs> infused. No, this is this is my recipe. Um, lightly toasted bread on a bed of hemp, um, with, with a dash of, of baked bean jus. That's that's what you're getting. Oh my goodness. Do you know? I realize with you, it's not it's not even what it is, it's the way that you say it. I'm sold. I feel like you're lulling me into some sort of uh Michelin starred. Meal. It is Michelin. It's five star. Five star. Wow. I'd even. It's the hemp. That's amazing. You've taken Michelin from three now up to five. That's incredible. <laughs> You've created a domain that doesn't even exist. It's lockdown. <laughs> this is what lockdown has done. Lockdown, baby. That's how we do it. We need to do part two, please. Can I book you already to do part two? <laughs> Let's, do Let's do it. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time, your gems, all the things that you have shared just to help us process so much of what we already feel to carry us through the next bit of the journey. So thank you so much for your time. We'll, we'll be Thanks, definitely Rosie. catching up soon. Um, yeah, take care. It's been a pleasure. And that's a wrap. I'm Swazi, and thanks for listening to Run For Heroes, the podcast. Make sure you do all that good stuff. Rate, review, subscribe or follow. And we'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Plus, don't forget to get involved with 5K May and share your experience on socials. Make sure you tag us at run.4.heroes. Till next time, I'll see you soon. Bye.